Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of my standing co-hosts, Alex Stewart with The Market Distillery. Glad to have you back today. we got a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show. All right. Love being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So today, obviously, let's talk a little bit about what just happened yesterday. And for our audience, you know, we're going to break down what the Federal Reserve did yesterday, the impacts of that. But kind of, you know, leading with, this is kind of like the emperor has no clothes on kind of mentality. We all remember the fable where, you know, this emperor's walking around, you know, with no clothes on. People are like, you look great. Things look awesome. This is amazing. And it took a little kid to stand up and go, but he's not wearing any clothes. I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that person to stand up and go, yeah, but you're you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And eventually it's going to come up. So yesterday, Federal Reserve, you know, it was a mixed bag of results yesterday as as the 2.30 Eastern Standard Hour, you know, kind of approached. And we got some commentary along with that, which I think we'll break down. But Let's talk about what happened. We got another quarter point increase in the in, in the system, if you may, and uh, it was kind of uh, it was kind of welcomed and unwelcomed in a couple of different ways. You know, it was unwelcomed by investors on the stock market, and we'll talk about what that meant to them. And then it was kind of welcomed by the bond market here. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of break this down, we raised it a quarter. Alex, I I stand corrected. I said they don't have the bravado to do it. They're not going to do it. I think you said, I think they're going to do it a quarter. And so hats off to you for that one there. But let's kind of talk about the impacts real quick of that quarter and what it means in our system. Yeah. And isn't it funny that uh, this is a topic of conversation in general, right? It's, like we didn't talk about the Fed <laughs> at all. Nobody cared about it. And now all of a sudden it's like uh, every month when they come out, it's like uh, a mini Super Bowl of what's going to happen. And uh, it seems like a lot of the industry it, is is now paying attention to it. Think right? about this. They have a live YouTube channel now where you can watch the Federal Reserve chairman take the podium for 45 minutes. Who would have thought people, I mean, who cares to watch that, by the way? But yet we're glued to it, right? I was just going to say, we had a good friend texting us saying that he and his wife were glued to it, taking (laughs) notes. And and that just tells you, though, I I love that because what that means now is people are actually paying attention to to stuff that matters. And the reason why it matters is because it affects your, your wallet, right? Sure. Sure. Well, you're also paying attention to it, but you're also trying to decipher, like, if you're not living in this world, you know, and what I mean that is like digesting it every day. I feel like you and I, we always have some sort of grouping in the morning and the afternoon. We talk about, hey, what's happened impacts what we're expecting. But think about think about the average person that just hears it on the news or that, you know, is catching wind of it for the first time. I mean, matter yeah. of fact, we were stopped coming into the studio this morning in the lobby by a, an individual that said, hey, listen, let me ask you about the Fed's decision and, and what it meant, you yeah. know? It's interesting to me how it's impacting all businesses right now. Yep. And again, I go back to something we said a long time ago. The original intent behind the Federal Reserve was never to have this much power. They should not have this much power. They should not even be in a position that they're in right now. But because we are where we are right now, and over the last 10, really 15 years, their power has grown tremendously ever since about 1998 when they started doing quantitative easing, which we're going to talk about. I'm here to argue I think they've already started quantitative easing mm-hmm. five again. I think they've already done it. When they when they quote unquote quasi bailed out mm-hmm. two large banks and infused more money into the system, that's easy, no matter how you want to talk about right. it. So let's get into the quarter rate hike. So you know, the, the intent behind that, obviously, is to fight inflation. Correct. Right? So we did another quarter rate hike, and, you know, it's going to be hard to argue is or is that working based on the other hikes. But now we're into the fives on the Fed funds rate. And for the audience, just a quick reminder, the Fed funds rate is the actual overnight rate in which banks borrow money from either a partner, sister bank in their local region or their actual Federal Reserve in their region. Mm-hmm. And it's a suggested Fed funds rate. It doesn't mean they have to be charged that, but that's the maximum they can be charged for the money in which they're borrowing. Right. Overnight, 24-hour window. Right. So. Yeah, and and 
ultimately, this is, uh, you know, again, when we talked before this meeting, the market was expecting it. The odds were basically 75% that this would happen. Uh, so it, it was what the market expected. And Jerome Powell even said in the conversation, we put a lot of effort into telegraphing everything we're going to do so that, that the market is Can very aware and that there's no surprises because the last thing he wants to do is have surprises right now because uh, he is walking a tightrope. And on, if he were to fall off to the right side, he is going to fall into a canyon of economic collapse. If he falls off on the left side, he is going to fall in and hit inflation like nobody's seen before. Right. And he is trying to walk that straight line forward to where neither of those things happen. And as you said, we're starting to say, hey, is that even possible? Yeah, you know, when we telegraph something, it's interesting because if he's truly telegraphing it, what we're seeing in the futures, it's roughly 9.19 in the morning here. We're getting started. The, the actual stock equity markets here in America haven't opened yet. But if he's telegraphed it, the market right now is saying in the futures, we think they're done. They're pricing in no more rate hikes for the next FOMC right. meeting. The markets right now are saying, hey, we're going to front run it. Right. We're going to front run it. We don't think this is going to happen. You had the S&P recovering this morning from a pretty substantial loss from the day before. You have the Dow you know, slightly recovering from their substantial loss the day before. So the market and the investors are saying, all right, here we go, because we don't think you are going to raise rates because of the telegraph signal you sent. And he sent some commentary signals. And those signals he sent were went like this. Our target rate for inflation remains at 2%. Right. For the record, it's over six right now, right? <laughs> so we got a ways to go. I don't know that this quarter is going to work. But we also understand that we cannot continue rate hikes at the notion that we previously thought we could do. And I think that was the comment right there. That's the telegraphing that everybody saw yesterday. And it was like, okay, well, if you, you know, let's, if you can't raise rates and you don't plan on doing it at the rate in which you planned, because the dot map didn't change, the future forecast of what they plan on doing didn't change, but you only raised it a quarter. So if you can't sustain that quarter, what's your other option? Well, you, you got to reverse course, right? You got to pivot, yep. right? Yep. It's either zero or reduce. Right. And that's the signal he sent. And it'll be very interesting to see over the next six weeks, does that hold true? Yeah. And, and if you just look back at history over the last 20 years, you'll see that when the Fed moves rates, it's funny because on their projections, they, they think it's going to be this nice, slow landing. Right. You know, the, the rates will kind of come down a little bit and then go down. But the reality is, is every time you look at this, it is a drop straight off because something breaks. Something happens, and they have to react, and they essentially just have to pull the trigger and go to zero. So right. I don't, I don't think they're ever able to say that in these projections. They have to do all this work to um, sort of again try to appear that they have clothes on. But the reality is, is I think we're at a point where okay, this is probably the highest rates are going to go, mm -hmm. and something else will most likely happen. We've already seen cracks in the system. And they're going to have to go to zero as soon as something major happens, uh, you know. And and the only dynamic that we didn't have before is inflation, and so that's what complicates it. But sure. you are you're picking between two evils, and one of those is a, a lesser, longer team evil, right? In their mind. Well, you know, let's let's play a clip real quick of where Jerome Powell actually took the stadium or stadium podium, yep. <laughs> and he actually talked to the press. And I think in this particular clip. He's addressing the fact of, do I think we can have that soft landing? Right. And so I'm going to play that clip because I think it's important. It's only about a minute 30. And uh, let's hear what he has to say here on this clip because, you know, as I pull it up, it, it, it kind of sums up what we're talking about here. And then we'll, we'll kind of address it a little bit as it starts to, to pull up. Here. I'm with Market News. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, with all the events of the past two weeks, do you still see um, a possibility of a soft landing for uh. the U.S. economy? 
you know, it's it's too early to say really whether uh, whether these events have had much of an effect. I, it, it's hard for me to see how they would have helped the problem, the possibility. But I, I guess I would just say it's it's too early to say whether there really have been um, changes in that. You know, the question will be how long this period is sustained. The longer it's sustained, then the greater will be the the um, the, the likely uh, uh, declines in, in uh, or tightening in credit standards, credit availability. So we'll just have to see. I, I do still think, though, that there's a, there's a pathway to that. I think that pathway still exists, and um, you know we're certainly uh, trying to find it. Now, okay. if, that, if that's not high quality entertainment, I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, hey, I think there's a pathway there, and uh, it's about as about as uh, long shot as winning the lottery, you know. Because the reality is that you know, I think there's a pathway. That you could answer that question, yes or no. That's the most no answer I've seen there, without saying no in quite some time. Yeah, I would imagine if you're Jerome Powell, you're prepping for questions. <laughs> this is not an uncommon question that I think you would get asked, and it right. told me everything I needed to know when he gets asked a question, and then you hear. Well, uh, what about the uh, chuckles from the people in the background? Right. What about the other right. press laughing when she asked that question? And the part they edited there was he goes, well, you know, I've been asked this question about 12 times a day already. So he, I mean, he's, this is something he's fighting. It's something the entire FOMC is fighting. The soft landing for our audience. You want to break down soft, hard landing here real quick? Yeah. So basically the idea of, hey, we want to bring inflation down. We want to tighten things, but we want to do it in a manner where, uh, again, it's like a plane landing on a runway and right. you don't have this huge bump. Passengers aren't getting, you know, thrown around in the cabin. Uh, it's more of that soft landing. Not that too everybody's much turbulence. Right. right. Now, now the alternative, right, is, is a hard landing or a crash. And, and those are fairly obvious what they mean. But, uh, you know, he is, I think, trying to do everything he can to keep a straight face, to, to answer this question, 100%. try to be somewhat honest in the answer. But at the end of the day, all I heard when he said that, if we read between the lines mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah, there's no soft landing anymore. Yeah, like, we've already seen, th th we're not going to have a soft landing. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, technically, is there a 0.1% chance? Yeah, maybe, right? Yeah. Like, But at the end of the day, the odds are not in the favor so at this point. So what does that mean for our audience? We're, we're telling them, hey, listen, there's not going to be a soft landing. You should brace for this. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean in the form yeah, I mean, of like, I think, what we deal with on our own levels here? Right, I think what it means is there's the potential for, uh, you know, this SVB bank is a great example. Something that comes out of nowhere mm -hmm. that is a shock to the system and that now you're put in reactionary mode too, right? Like uh, nobody said, hey, we see this coming. Let's go ahead and take preventative measures. It's more of this happened. We need to do something for this. And so that means probably more stimulus, right? We've sure. seen the way that they react to these things is throwing money at it. Mm -hmm. they, they try to prop it up by reinflating the system a little bit here. Right. And um, so that's what I expect to happen is for us to wake up to a news report or right. for a news report to come out, something's happening. And that means volatility in the market, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a stock investor, and we're not, in, this is not financial advice, right? This right. is our opinion, just our feedback. That means that you may wake up and you have different values in your portfolio sure. that could be drastically lower or the mother of all bull runs when we get this official quantitative easing is back on the table, boys, uh, printers are running and everybody puts all their eggs in the stock market, well, right? Well, let's talk about that briefly here. So easing versus tightening. You know, when we're easing, we're putting money into the, well, the Federal Reserve is putting money into the system. Yep. One of two ways, buying bonds, buying notes at massive amounts, yep. buying corporate bonds, in this case, doing buybacks from banks, yep. you know, from par value of what the actual note is worth from the U.S. Treasury. That's pumping 
I mean, I think the Fed's balance sheet is almost at $9 trillion, mm-hmm. and there's a forecast that it will be at $10 trillion by the end of the year. That's massive amount of easing happening right in front of us. Tightening would be reducing that balance sheet yep. with runoffs and uh, of mortgage-backed securities, and they're not doing that right now. As a matter of fact, they haven't been doing that over the course of really the last six to eight months. So we have this easing going in and then rates being risen on the backside or on the front side and this being done on the backside. But what that means is they are trying to tighten. The message they sent yesterday with the quarter raise is we want to tighten the credit market. Mm-hmm. And when you hear tightening the credit market, you know, if I'm a consumer, when I hear that, it's like, oh, is that going to be hard for me to get a credit card now? Is that going to be hard for me to get a mortgage loan? Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily what they mean by that. You want to define what they mean by tightening of the credit market. Yeah, it's probably more related to commercial lending yep. and business loans and, and personal loans, right? Yep. Like if you were to go to your bank and say, I want to do some home improvement projects, can right. I get a loan for that? Well, that's a much more risky loan then can I buy a house? I need a mortgage or can I get a credit card? Um, Let's take it a step further. Let's say I am a small to medium sized business Mm -hmm. and my business is in the business of buying multifamily apartments or I'm in the business of buying duplexes, quadplexes, any way you look at it, they're investment style homes, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm I'm providing housing for people to live in and I'm buying those and that's my business. I I run a very property management style, property owner style business. I depend on regional banks, I typically don't have that relationship with one of the Power Five, and the Power Five being the J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo's, you know, uh, Bank of America, Citigroup, and PNC or, or Truist. I don't have the relationship there. I have it at a regional bank, and in this case, I'm going to suggest the Republic Bank in in California, right? Yep. And so I'm going to kind of just bring this all together here. So I depend on Republic Bank to give me an open-ended line of credit that allows me to float those purchases when I buy them. And then as I inherently make money on either the sale of those properties or rentals, I pump that money back into those credit lines to reduce it so I can continue to use it. When you're tightening the credit market, you're de-incentivizing regional banks because the bigger banks aren't doing it. You're de-incentivizing that relationship. And so when you de-incentivize that relationship, if I have deposits at those banks, such as the Republic Bank, and I'm going, hey, listen, I'm, well, this isn't working. I'm going to pull my deposits, and I'm going to go to another regional bank that may incentivize that mm-hmm. credit relationship. That's the pressure they put on these regional banks when they do that, and that's the pressure they're applying to the credit market. And that's why... I didn't think they would raise these rates. I didn't think they would tighten the market as much as they did because I didn't think the financial system could afford those devaluing of the relationships that I'm mm-hmm. describing. But they did it. But they did it on the premise of, hey, to your point, I'm going to telegraph, we're probably not going to do this again. So everybody calm down. This is the one, we're going to do it here because we're on course, but we're not going to do it again. We're going to pivot to your point. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to buy back all those all those notes that you have at par value. But that doesn't mean people aren't going to move their relationships. And so I think that that's one of the major issues when you see credit tightening from just a a small to medium-sized business, right? That standpoint is a problem. We also have the builder market. And that's kind of what some things that that kind of happen here that we forget about. Builders are businesses too. They're not just housing, right? And so if I'm a builder and I need credit lines, whether I'm a national builder or I'm a regional builder, I have credit lines that allows me to go – at, uh, to go vertical on these properties, buy the vacant land, develop mm-hmm. the land, and then go vertical because a lot of builders aren't really relying on construction or perm loans. They're sure. like, we don't have time for that. We're going to build these homes. We're going to get vertical on them. And then Alex, you're going to come to the table with a closed loan and we're going to close on the spot. That's how they depend on it. But that money is being floated at an interest rate during that time. Mm-hmm. Those rates just went up again, which makes the cost of that mm-hmm. float more expensive, which is going to be passed down to the consumer. It always is. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, now the builders may say, wait a minute, I'm not going to 
build as much. Right. This isn't this isn't making sense right now. If right. I can't raise the cost to offset the price and I don't see the margins getting any better, well that could prevent that could potentially say I'm not going to build and discourage builders building. Yeah, and we we've got a great clip on that and while you pull that up I want to talk yeah. about um, this uh, you know, if you look the Federal Reserve actually puts out a measure of uh, the net percentage of banks tightening their standards, meaning how, what percentage of all the banks out there are, are saying, you know, we're not that interested in loaning out money anymore mm-hmm. in that business capacity. And if you look, we currently uh, are at f- almost 50% of all the banks uh, tightening their standards. And if you go back in history, the only other times we've hit 50% have all been in a recession. Yeah, recession. You go back measure. to 91, that happened. You go back to 2001, that happened. You go back to 2008, that happened. And you go back to 2020, and that happened. Yep. That's the only time. And you, so, you know what all those have in common, too? Tell me. An inversion of the oh, 210 oh, Treasury curve. Yep. All those were yep. followed by, all those were predecessed by an inversion of the 210 Treasury curve, yep. which is also where we are right now. Meaning you make more money on a short-term loan than you do a long-term That's loan, which correct. makes no sense unless there's a ton of risk in the short term. Yeah. So let's go ahead and play that video that you were discussing there um, as I pull it up here and, and we'll we'll kind of speak to that. But I think this is uh, CNBC and Diana Olick. Welcome back, everybody. Rates getting hit in today's sell-off, as you can see there. Small declines, but it's one area where banks have already been pulling back on commercial lending activity. Will the concerns cause loans to dry up even further now. Diana Olick is here with the story. Diana. Well, Kelly, the short answer is yes, and liquidity isn't the only impact. I spoke with Willie Walker of Walker & Dunlop. That's the largest multifamily lender in the nation. They also lend some on office and retail. He said every single regional and local bank across the country is now assessing their loan assets and liabilities, and as a result, they're going to be more discerning about extending credit to commercial real estate, which will suck liquidity out of the system. In addition, commercial developers, he said, who largely use regional banks and depend on those relationships are in a conundrum. One of the things that many of our clients have been struggling with, Diana, over the last week is I work with PacWest. I work with First Republic. My relationship is with them. I'm wondering whether I ought to move my deposits away from them. And if they move them, they lose the relationship. The other thing is those deposits are tied to new loans or existing loans. And this is not just for commercial developers, but the home builders as well. In the Builder Sentiment report out this morning, NAHB's chief economist Rob Dietz said a follow-on effect of the pressure on regional banks as well as continued Fed tightening will be further constraints for acquisition, development, and construction loans for builders. And of course, when loan conditions are tight, lot supply constricts, builders don't build houses, and home prices, where do they go, Kelly? Right. Well, exactly. So I'm curious as well, Diana, before we let you go, if there's been any knock on from what's happened with the regional banks. So those problems hitting uh, uh, home builders at all. Well, there's great concern. And in fact, Stuart Miller, the chairman of Lennar, Lennar beat in their earnings report late yesterday. But he came on with analysts today and he said that he's very concerned. He knows how important regional banks are to the housing sector. He said the landscape is going to shift. We're not going to be able to see around the corners. And he said our focus is going to be taking into account the unexpected, staying close to the market on a community basis, keeping production moving. But he said that will impact both prices and margins. Kelly. Hmm. All right, Diana. Thank you, Diana Olick. All right. So listen, Diana Olick's not my favorite 
analyst in the world because she is so anti-housing that it's just, it's cringeworthy. But uh, you notice in the clip, what she didn't say is, hey, Kelly, what does that do to home prices? And no one answered, right? And I thought that was interesting because Diana doesn't have it in herself to say home prices are going up because she's been telling everybody they've been going down for the last three years. Yeah, she did two fingers up with her thumbs, right? She did two thumbs up, but she didn't say it, right? That's exactly what's going to happen. Home prices are going to go up. They are always the beneficiary of inflation, which is exactly what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to see that happen. But it's like anything. You reduce the amount of product that you can buy, that product is going to go up. And that's exactly what we just heard there. And it's interesting. You know, Literally, they, the, the gentleman came on there from the investment firm, said exactly what we just said. And it's that these relationship bankings are so dependent on yep. these regional banks. And if it's not there, that's a big issue. And if the tightening of that market starts to happen, that kind of makes its way down to the likes of you and I. Sure. Right? We may not see it right away, but it will make its way down to us. And so I, it's another reason why I think yesterday was the pivot point that we saw where you know, you're know you seeing, hey, listen, we're going to do all means necessary to attack and battle inflation. However, we may not be able to do it at the rate in which we thought. Absolutely. And this is not, in my opinion, very hard to foresee Okay, we're going to have a major issue. Right. Like somebody's going to go down. Now we're talking, okay, is a home builder going to say, hey, we're slashing workforce? By the way, that was Lenar's chairman they quoted. Exactly. So this is starting to affect a wide range of industries, tech industry. Yeah. It's going to impact all this business lending. It's not hard to think, okay, in the next six months, we are likely going to see something big happen again that we're probably at the tip of the iceberg, not an isolated event. And that is going to pull things down and the market's going to react and they're going to say, this is a deflationary event. Uh, We, you know, inflation's going to really go down. Demand's going to go down. Prices are going to come down and you're going to see this all over YouTube because everybody's going to talk about the crash, but you have to look beyond that. And the reality is, is we've already seen it. The reaction to any sort of crash is going to be to throw money at the problem. That's right. The Fed opened a uh, primary lending facility, right? And so what they do is they make these emergency loans or these loans to people to preemptively um, prevent problems. Mm -hmm. And just with the most recent bank crash, they lent out 41% more money than they did in twenty in 2008. So that just tells you the size of the issue as well as uh, this is this is like drinking caffeine. You drink it a lot every day. Suddenly you start to need four cups to have the same effect as one. That's correct. We're Good on that same path yeah. now where you don't need just $1 to stimulate. You need 10. Yeah. Uh, and so- Well, and that also speaks to inflation. Well, that's, that's speaks, exactly right. That's because You're gonna, that $1 is now equal to $10 in that correct, scenario because inflation's taken over. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. 
I know we talk about financial shock and systems, but think about when we started raising rates. Think about when that happened. It was May of 22, right? Or was yep. it April 22 when they made the announcement? What if we would have ripped the Band-Aid off at that point, made it a substantial hike? Inflation was was just starting to peak. We would have seen almost all of that ha- you know, filter its way through the system over the next eight months, but that one big hike was there. Yep. Probably going to have a couple things happen. Probably all the bonds that were continuing to be bought in the first half probably would have been bought. All the notes that were bought probably would have been bought. And all of the, the the actual, what we're calling vulnerabilities that are out there right now may have been not only hedged, but possibly stopped and prevented, but we didn't do that. We're working these things through the system. And it's it, it's really unfortunate what's happening here because these little rate hikes are actually making it harder and harder for recovery, in my opinion. And inflation is going to get away from them even more instead of tackling it as they wanted to do. Yeah, you had a Band-Aid. You were starting to rip it off. And it started to pull some hair. So instead, you put it back down, and then you put three more Band-Aids on top of that. Yeah. And now at the end of the day, you're going to have to pull them off at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. Or they're going to pull themselves off, and you're going to find out what's under that. And it's a broken leg. And la- yeah, last time out. I checked, you leave Band-Aids on a, on, on a wound, it doesn't yeah. get better, right? Yeah, it needs, exactly. It needs air to breathe. It needs yeah. to, to get healed properly. And the hard part here is there's not an easy answer, right? Like. And when we think about this, are you scared about this? Like, no. are you fearful? No. To me, this is this is opportunity. I don't sure. I don't look at this and go, the Fed's going to let it crash, and we're going to be living in the Book of Eli now yeah, and no. shooting cats with a crossbow and eating them. Right? Like, I think at the end of the day, this is something that we need to just prepare prepare ourselves for. We can foresee what's going to happen, and this means okay. I need to take some action to put some things in some places. We've already talked about mm-hmm. you know hard assets make a lot of sense. Uh, talking to a financial advisor about how to how to prepare for this, but also living below my means, not yeah. not stressing myself out to where I'm. Maybe I don't take that extra vacation, or maybe I put some more to the side so I have some some reserves. Sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, money's going to get thrown at this. And if you're just sitting on savings, the worst part about this is the people that have fixed incomes that are relying on that. That's yep. that's going to be the, the people that's that get hit the, the hardest. They get hit the hardest, yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that I want to talk about a little bit here is, you know, I found it interesting that um, the the definition of, of systemic risk, and mm-hmm. Powell was asked this at the podium, you know, are you going to, quote unquote, help every regional bank out? Are you, quote unquote, um, going to help any depositor out that's over $250,000? And his answer was was pretty interesting. And it was also, um, also kind of discouraging at the same time. And the answer was that we found as a, as a majority of the FOMC uh, and also of the FDIC that it was prudent and necessary along with the opinion of Janet Yellen mm-hmm. and the current administration president to to step in and replace all those deposits, right? right. By the way, I agree with them. That, that needed to be done. But what the message they sent was, oh, okay, so does that mean that's going to happen everywhere? And I think a couple of days earlier, Janet Yellen was backed into a corner by a congressman from Oklahoma mm-hmm. that specifically asked her on the mic, are my depositors in my region safe and secure with their deposits? And are you going to replace all their deposits, such as what you did at Silicon Valley Bank mm-hmm. and Signature Bank? And she repeated the answer I just said that, you know, it will take a majority vote from the FDIC and the Federal Reserve as well as my approval and President Biden's approval to think that that's a systemic risk. And he asked her this question three times, and the answer was the same. And I think what she said to the to the whole 
you know, oversight committee as well as to the United States people were that if we think your bank is of importance, that it could systemically crash and hurt other banks, Mm -hmm. we will replace your money. Mm-hmm. If we don't feel that way, we're not going to do it. Yep. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, Bill Bill Ackman, a big hedge fund guy, billionaire, came out and actually was saying what they just did by saying that mm-hmm. is caused another bank run because if you're in a bank that they is don't not think it's a systemic risk, correct. If you don't, you're, think in you're in one of the bigger banks. You yep. know you've got issues, and so everybody's going to be moving their money. Correct. Uh, now, again, if you have two hundred fifty thousand or less. You're covered, right? It's these people that have a million dollars in the bank. Right. They're going to move their money out and to the move big it to power the big, five. Yeah, right. they're going to move it to the power five, maybe the power ten, whatever you want to call it. But you know, we see that happening. The deposits are increasing across the board with right. all of these banks. I mean, Citigroup is a power five bank. They've got eighty nine percent of their deposits over two hundred fifty thousand, but they don't care because they're too big to fail, and they create systemic risk. It's the best news they've ever gotten. It's the best news ever gotten. And so, what are they doing? They're saying, "Hey, we'll take your money in. We're going to pay you a lot less on that money now." Right. And they're actually making yield on these on these runs. And so one of the things I wanted to look at this morning here and we always measure risk in the short term. Yep. What are the what are the what are the uh treasuries doing on the 1 year and the 90 day right now in comparison to what we've been seeing. Because I think right now, as the markets start to open, the 10 years hovering somewhere between three, five and some change. And then what are those what are those other treasuries looking at right now? All right. So if we look at you know, the the yield curve, all this means is, you know, if you put money away for certain sets of time, how much money will you receive back, right? right? And in theory, you should always receive more money if you put it away for longer, less money if you put it away for shorter. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, you can make just under 5% if you were to put your money away for six months twice, right? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Correct. That's crazy. And the markets are telling us right now, there's greater risk in the short term, so therefore we're going to reward you, but there's a greater risk in the short term. And any way you look at that, you know, that's that's that pricing, that's that telegraphing that we yep. talk about being priced in on these actual treasuries right now comparative to the 10-year note. Yeah, and, and for 10 years, you're going to make just a little bit over 3.5%, maybe 35 exactly. So it, it's a it's saying that's telling us there's a lot of risk in the mm-hmm. short term. We, yep. we see something that's an issue, and uh, what will happen is I think that will – sort itself out, the the short term will go down as soon as we are past the crisis. Yep. Now, we may still have a lot of mess to clean up, but this tells us it is still to come. The market mm-hmm. is waiting. The market is positioning. And yes. um, also that inflation is, is much higher yeah, today for, than it will be. Yeah, for our audience, you should not see those types of yields right. on a 90-day or one-year note or six-month uh, bill. Put in perspective, one year ago, Today the today the ninety day T bill I think it's like four seven eight. A year ago that was 0.7 and some change. That's the normal and even that was considered high. Yep. You should not see four handle or a five handle on these bills with the United States government. You shouldn't see that. Well, and so and what it, you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of people flock to that because that is backed by the federal government, full faith of the federal government, but it's also in the shortest of risk. And so you're getting it back, and to your point, every six months, you're re-upping. So in one year, you're making 5% on your money. Well, if inflation's at six, what a way to hedge. You're still losing, but what a way to hedge. 
we're happy to just lose less. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. It, with the uncertainty and right, not knowing what's right. going on in the market, till we have some sort of path of which we're going, you know, there's it's not a bad idea, actually. I mean, it's not a great idea either. I mean, I would say diversify and, like you said, hard assets. There's going to be real estate being one of them. We just yep. described why that is going to continue to go. You know, if you believe in gold and, you know, you believe in the, the shortage of gold and silver, you should believe in the shortage of real estate. Yeah. Because that's absolutely. exactly what's happening right in front of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And and when we look at an inverted yield curve, the other so we know that it precedes a recession. Mm-hmm. The other thing we have historically seen is it precedes a stock market yeah. going down in value. Yes. And and that's not guaranteed, but those are some things that we're watching out for. And one of the um, last things that I took from his speech that seemed to be very casual and, you know, I want to see if you felt like you got the same thing out of it, but he was asked directly, you know, have other banks been given notices about basically you've got issues and you need to address it. And they call them, you know, matters requiring immediate attention. And his response was, well, I couldn't really say that. Those are serious notices though. If you get one of those, that's like you're getting a pink slip at work or that is something huge. And then at the very end he goes, but there were six of them. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he threw out he that there were that. six notices. And yeah. in my mind, I'm going, okay, so we know. There's four we of the got, banks. It, yeah, if two of them already were to ones that yeah. crashed or say three yeah. of them to, to three, there's at least three more banks out there that are in dire straits. And and so that's why we say, look, th- we're not out of the woodwork yet. Mm-hmm. This is something that that can rear its head going forward. And and so that's what yeah. we're watching So for. here's here's what I think about that. And it's pretty uh, interesting to me. I'm really glad you brought it up. These, they call it stress test, and yep. that's where the pink slip was given out. But the stress test that they apply to banks, and, and we I know this because I've, I've been a part of them, is is relatively interesting. Think about when you have, if, if you've been to the heart doctor, a cardiologist, a stress test. They run you on a treadmill, and they put you at some of the highest elevations, and then some of the highest speeds that your body can endure to stress it out. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of a stress test. Make sense? Yep. Okay, so with a bank... That's what should be happening with the stress test from the FDIC. And this is the thing that just, you know, when you talk about the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing or the left hand doesn't even watch the news or what the right hand's doing, but right hand being the Federal Reserve. We knew what their intent was. They specifically said they're going to raise rates. They have dot maps. They have everything that's showing you that they want to get inflation under two and they will do it at all costs until yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you've got auditors with the FDIC, who work in hand with the Federal Reserve, who are implementing these stress tests. Well, man, the stress test was if you have all of these 10-year treasuries on your books, what's going to happen if the Federal Reserve raises rates 75 basis points? Can your can your, can your your assets and can your deposits and can your liabilities work together and congruent with the stress of 75 basis points over the next three years? Right. That was the stress test. Yeah. Are you kidding me? What right. planet are you living on? Right. We did 75 basis points in a hike. Yep. And then we did another one in another hike. How are you how are you conducting a stress test that says 75 basis points over three? This was a failure to monitor. Period. Right. And the pink slips that you're referring to are a continued failure to monitor. And until they re-implement and communicate and understand what the other side is doing, these stress tests are worthless. And that's how that bank got in trouble to begin with is the stress test was not implemented in according to the Federal Reserve's policy and someone was asleep at the wheel there. Yeah, was it a bad investment? It wasn't the right one. Are the banks doing it? Yes. Was there a run on bank called digitally? Yes. You know, did other people stand to benefit from the loss of those banks? Yes. But the reality is all of that could have been avoided. All of that could have been prevented 
had an actual proper stress test been done on it by the FDIC, who whoever was implementing that fell asleep at the wheel at whatever the Federal Reserve said they were going to do and continue to do. Do you think that this is because of the moral hazard that's that's been set by the Fed of, yeah, you can do some stupid things, but at the end of the day, if you're we'll big, take care we'll, of it. We'll, we'll bail yeah. you out? I yeah, mean, I, I think I, that's... I, yeah, I think I think it's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, at the end of the day, we got a fallback plan. Let's just see what happens here. You know, all is well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no. and if you're one of these bigger banks that you know you can't lose, well, okay, I'm willing to take some more risk than I was before when I knew that I was on my own, right? Yeah, when I got the backing. Oh, and by the way, that's the standard we just set. They should have, you know, I'm not saying they should have, but had they let that bank fail and the depositors fail, oh, that would have been iron sharpens iron. Yeah. <laughs> the banking industry would have gotten everything together real quick, real fast and understood the message. And it would have been, it, it would have taken some time to correct itself, but it would have been corrected to your point. With the emperor having no clothes on, everyone's going, all is well. All is well. Looks yeah. good over here. Well, we'll see where it goes. And I, if nothing else, uh, I'm excited for the number of people that we talk to that are paying attention to this. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's raising their financial IQ. They are able to use this in their business and talk to their customers. And uh, I, I hope that they are gaining from this what we are because it is a fun journey to be yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, always great and pleasure to have you on the show here. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we got to wrap it up here because at 10 o'clock, we got some other shows that we're currently on here. Uh, we've been invited to be a guest on the Next Level Loan Officer podcast over there uh, with Kenneth Travis and as well as the Mortgage Marketing uh, podcast that's coming on today with George Zimfer. So let's stay tuned to those. We'll get you the information as those drop. Alex, thanks again for your time. If you like what you're hearing, please share these episodes. Five-star review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment and then always check us out on our social handles at what's your one more with the number one that's at what's your one more with the number one alex thanks again have a great day yeah i got one more shot i'm gonna make it one more chance i'm gonna take it i meant it when i said it now it's time for me to do it i got one life to live so i put all into it yeah